Thanks for being here this morning. As you walk out, there's a table in the back that has a whole bunch of copies of this book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Suffers by Dane Ortland. Those are all free. Um, I read this book about a year ago. It's one of the best books I have read. It's very short chapter in a while. It's a very short chapter. It's almost devotional read. Um, it is exactly what it says, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Suffers. So I encourage you to take a copy. Um, make me feel better if you take a copy. Just put it on your shelf. I'm not assuming you have to read it right now, but you might be a saint who suffers down the road, and you might see that on your shelf. Pull it out, and it will be an unbelievable encouragement and blessing to you. So all those books, they're just a free copy. I encourage you to take them. If we run out, there's some under the table as well. If you have your Bible, um, please turn to the book of Daniel or look it up on your phone, but I encourage you to look with me this morning as we go through Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. It's on page 737 of the Pew Bibles, but Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hanani he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner, and he tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, 
the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and, and, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks Lord, for your word. Lord, thanks for the help of your word, the encouragement of the word, and the hope that's found in your word. Lord, thanks that you speak through it. So this morning, Lord, I pray you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes. You would encourage us. You'd teach us. And you would guide us through it. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ever since I was young, I always liked maps. I, I just enjoyed looking at maps, finding maps. Look, uh, just, I think it was passed down to me from my dad. Uh, but just looking at maps and enjoying knowing where I'm at um, on the map. And finding yourself on the map. And maps change. And the reality is, I feel, and we see in our culture, in our world, that finding yourself on the map is sometimes difficult. The, 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 the things have changed. The, the map is changing. Finding yourself in, in that spot of where, where's God in all these things, is, it seems to change. And finding yourself on the map and where you are in your life and in your situations can be hard to do. And we, we see that around the world. It's not hard for us even this week to look and see the world situation and, and wonder, where's God in this map? Well, what's going on in this situation? We look at the persecuted church around the world in Afghanistan, but in hundreds of countries all around the world, just where these people seem in exile, trying to find themselves on the map, and, and we, we can pray for them, but we don't feel that yet as much as we may in the future. But we do feel the pressure of exile, often in your workplace as a Christian where you try to stand for Christ and you, you get more and more pushback or you feel the pressure not to stand like maybe you should because the map has changed. It's not as favorable in some ways, and there's more pressure, and it's easy to pull back. The reality is we are heading something somewhere in a direction. That's what maps do. That's what they help us do, and we are all going in a direction. And as followers of Christ, there's a direction that we are heading. Philippians 3.20 says that we are citizens of heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a direction that we're going this is not our home. And 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. And finding our place, and finding our place as Christians, it sometimes seems like in exile can be difficult. And we can wonder, where is God in all these things, in, in the broader world, in our country, but even in your personal world. But we do need to remember, and maybe we've forgotten, 
But Jesus said in John 15, If the world hate you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And the question for us is, how do we remain faithful to God? How do, we, how do you hold on to, and how do you hold out hope to a broken world where it seems like the map's constantly changing? That, that it, we're, we're, we're having a hard enough time finding our own selves on the map sometimes. So how do we remain faithful to God? How do we hold on to that, and how do we hold out a hope to the world? This is not only our question, but this is the question that Christians and followers of God for centuries have asked. This is the question that was being asked when the book of Daniel was written. This is the question that the saints and the people of God were in exile, away from Jerusalem. And and Daniel wrote his book, and he wrote this first part of the book specifically to help people in exile, wondering where they are on the map, how they can have faith, how they can keep holding on. And the book of Daniel is more than just about a cool guy named Daniel. It is a word of comfort and encouragement to us that however things may appear, God is ruling and he's reigning. And so we are to hold on and hold up. Because wherever you think you might be on the map, God knows exactly where you are. And this is the situation, and the scene is set at the beginning of this, in the first part of verse 1, and the last part of verse 21, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And at the end, it says, and Daniel was there until the first year of the king of the reign of Cyrus. This is historical markers. These aren't just stories. This is an actual event that took place in history. Nebuchadnezzar came down from Babylon, and he besieged Jerusalem. He just, he obliterated it to the best of his ability. And the people of God were moved out of Jerusalem and sent into Jerusalem exile. And not just that, it says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of, his, of God, and he brought them. Nebuchadnezzar brought these vessels from the temple, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. It's a very dark scene at the start. The city is besieged, The people have been moving into exile, and not only that, they've taken the vessels of God and they've put it in their God, which is why it's repeated. It's it's dark. It looks like God's not in control. It looks like things are very, very bad. If you know Genesis... In Genesis 11, Shinar is mentioned again. There was a time when the people of humanity forgot who they were. And it says in Genesis 11 that they went to Shinar and they they tried to build this big tower. 
because they didn't want to go the way God told them to go and do what God told them to do. They said they would be their own people, and they built this tower of Babel in Babylon in Shinar. And ever since then, Babylon has been against what God has wanted to do in Jerusalem. And the people were this Nebuchadnezzar, this king from Babylon, which represented rebellion to God, opposition to God. It was in Shinar. There were temptations for the people of Israel was found, and it was a place of oppression. And the people of God are wondering, how can we sing to the Lord? How can we sing to the Lord when we've been kicked out of Jerusalem? Just like the Psalm 137 says, the, 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 the people of Israel are there in exile. They've been taken to Babylon. It says in Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion... On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors, mocking them, required of us, our, us songs, and our torments, myrrh, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in the foreign land? How do I know my place when I've been displaced? How do I know if God's still in it? How do I know that everything I did for God was worth it? How can I sing the songs of the Lord when it looks like there's, there's, there's no God? God's been captured. He's been, his vessels are in other gods. An historian would look at this passage and they would say it happened because Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar was a strong, mighty army. They came in and they just knocked out Jerusalem. They took over the people of God. They, they had a military conquest. And a priest of Babylon, if he was asked about it, he would have said, see, this is what we've been telling you all along. The God, Yahweh, is nothing. Our gods of Babylon, that's the real God. And so our gods are just more powerful than that. And so we took over Yahweh's nothing. They, this is what happened. And Nebuchadnezzar, if you'd asked him, he would have said, well, the purpose is this. I want to crush them. I want to rule and I want to reign. I'm going to take out the people of Israel, and the question of the people of Israel was, and the people of God is, where is God? I don't know my place. I've lost my spot on the map. Where is God in this? And was this all a waste? But then you notice verse 2, and it says, all this destruction, all this besieging of Babylon, and it says, and the Lord gave. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God's not absent. He's very present in this situation. As a matter of fact, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't his mighty army that did it. It wasn't the gods of Babylon. It was God himself who gave his people in to exile. Isaiah 45, 7, says, God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And Ephesians 1 says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And the word Lord in this is not Yahweh. The word for the name of God in this passage that the Lord gave is Adonai, which means possessor and owner of all. So to the, to the exiled people of God, they're, they're reading this and they're hearing, here's what happened. They know what happened. Where's God? I've lost my place on the map. And, the, and then it says, the one who owns and possesses everything, he's the one who gave 
you into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. And why did he do it? If they were honest, they would have known. Daniel answers the question in Genesis, excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, in his long prayer, he says, he prays, and he says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And verse 9 says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey obey your voice, and the curse and oath that were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. They, they knew, if they were honest, why it happened. God had said, if you follow and obey me, I'll, I, you, things will be fine. If you disobey, there's consequences. And they, they chose to rebel and disobey God. They chose to go against a different way. But in all of that, God's still working out his purposes. He's still in control, even when it seems very dark, even in your life. When you've lost your way on the map, and you wonder, where's God leading me? What's he's been doing? The truth is, Adonai reigns. He's, He's guiding it. Someone said the God of Israel, the Savior, is sometimes a God that hides himself, but never a God that absents himself. Sometimes in the dark, but never away at a distance. And this is how it's confirmed in Isaiah 45. Sometimes that's how God feels, that he's, he's away in a distance, that he's abandoned us, but he hasn't abandoned us. He, he's working his sovereign purposes in our lives and in the, the world. And so this, we'll just work our way through. They had this system that came up. They, they came in, they were besieged, and Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, go get some guys. We're going to go get the top royal class of young guys, probably 16 to 19 years old. Bring them in. We, we, we want to bring them into our country, and we're, we're, we're going to teach them. We're, we're going we're to deal with them. And so they brought in all these top guys that they were, they were smart, they were intelligent, they were the, the top of the class that were taken from Jerusalem and brought in to Babylon. These were probably not the guys who were standing on milk cartons trying to make their way uh, through, if you've seen the TikTok videos. This was the top of the class. This was, this was the group of smart kids, intelligent, it says, and they, they, they brought them in for this reason. They, they wanted to take this group of the, of the children of the people of God, bring them in, and they wanted to change their location, throw them off their view of their map of their world, change their language, change their names, change their ident- identity, change their lifestyle, so that they could hopefully change their loyalty. That they would no longer be loyal to God, but then they would be loyal to Babylon. And that happens a lot. We often see when we get changed out of our circumstances, move to a little different place, get away from home, get away outside of our Christian friends, the consistency of gathering with the people of God, and we change our location, can start changing our identity, if things change our lifestyle, and all of a sudden we notice our loyalty starts to change. And there are four friends in this. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And they're walking the long walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
no idea on the map where they're at, and what's going through their minds? Scared to death, am I ever going to come back? Am I ever going to see my parents again? Are we ever going to get back to Jerusalem? What's going to come of us? Many of them might have grabbed onto the wheel of an airplane, hoping they would be able to get back. This is the situation that these young men founded themselves in. And what can you do to help young exiles? More and more young people who've been growing up in church, who heard God's word, or prayed for, are walking away. More of them are checking the box, nuns. They don't have faith. More and more middle-aged people are checking the box, nuns. More and more seniors are checking the box, nuns. And there's exiles all along who are, who are walking away. There's been a change of language, a change of identity, a change of lifestyle. What, what, what can you do? I would encourage you, as I'm getting to a little different change stage of life now when I can read the newspaper, see the picture of a dead sailor, look over my shoulder and see the exact same picture on my shelf. What do we do with a, with a different face? What, do we, what can we do with all these young people and people that we know? Let me just encourage you, recognize, recognize them. Remember them. Remain solid that the thing that they need most is the Word of God. It is the seed of the Word of God that's going to change them. That's what we need. It's the Word of God that can break into hard hearts or hurting hearts. Remain solid on that. Reach out. It's not a program. There's been plenty of programs to reach people, but it's people reaching people and taking the word of God and, and sharing it with somebody did that with Daniel. Somebody did that with his friends and they're, they're walking down, not knowing where they're going, not knowing how it's going to turn out. And one of them says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. I'm leaving the place I'm from. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know myself on the map, but this is what I do know. God has not changed, Daniel said to himself. And he resolved that no matter what else has changed, God hasn't changed, and so I'm going to not defile myself with the king's meat. And so he comes up with this plan. He says, hey, I don't want to eat the king's meat. Why, why didn't he want to eat the king's meat? There's been many reasons, but it wasn't because vegetables weren't offered to idols. They probably were as well. But it seemed that Daniel couldn't control him changing his name. He couldn't control them changing his place. He couldn't control them changing his education. But what he could control was what he ate. Because whatever happened, Daniel says, I, I'm going to let them know that it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that got me through this. It wasn't Babylon that got me through this. It was God that got me through this. And he walks up to the eunuch and he says, hey, let, let, let me eat something different. And the eunuch, who likes Daniel, says, you know what? 
I like you, but if this goes bad for me, you're, I'm going to be dead. And so Daniel just gives up and says, fine, I'll just do whatever they want me to do. That's not what Daniel does. He stays in his resolve, and he goes to the steward who was over them, and he says, hey, test us out here. I mean, make an appeal to you. Instead of us eating the king's meat for 10 days, why don't we just eat some vegetables and some water? Just, just test us for 10 days. If it goes well, then let us do it. If it doesn't, we'll go back and do your thing. And the steward says, verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the steward said, okay, I'll do that. I mean, Daniel was a smart guy, it says, clearly. He was a top-notch, good-looking dude. He was, he was something to behold. He had the it factor. But what happened here was not, hey, let's come up with this plan, I'll work my magic, and I'll, and I'll smooth this guy to get what I want. That, that's not what happened. What it says is, God gave Daniel favor. This was a supernatural event, because if you eat vegetables for 10 days and water, and everybody else is eating meat and other stuff, you're not going to look better naturally. I mean, you're not gonna, they're not just going to be like, whoa, vegetables? That's the way to go? That's not going to happen. The only way Daniel looked better after all this took place was because God gave Daniel favor, and he miraculously did this, and in 10 days, he looked at him and says, yeah, you guys look great. You eat vegetables all you want. Just make me look good. This was a miracle work of God that God did in Daniel's life. For a number of weeks this summer, people from our church have been going over to Oak, Oak Brook, where they have been tearing, this guy's getting ready to tear this house down, brand new, beautiful, well, not brand new, but a very nice house, taking things out, and they were going to use it to take down to Roseland to help Miss Pearl. She's trying to revolutionize that street and change things and, and make that place a picture of God's grace in a very dark neighborhood. So as they've been doing this, they started taking the cabinets out and pulling them out. And, and Miss Pearl, anyway, they pull all these cabinets out, they flip the cabinets back, and on every one of the cabinets, the name Pearl is written, because that's the color of the cabinets. You're telling me that of all the houses in the Chicago land, the one that's getting torn down, that's going to go help rebuild houses, and the back of the cabinets that was put in there years ago, the name Pearl was written? That's a miracle of God that Pearl could never have come up with on her own. There's no way she could have said, yeah, go take that house apart. That's the one that's got my name on it. God did that. This is how God works with people. Who, she's got the it factor. I mean, I've seen Miss Pearl. She was here a few weeks ago. She's, not a, she's a tough cookie when she's down there in Chicago. She, 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 she could she work her way. But even with all her skills, God comes in and he says, hey, just relax. I already put your name on the cabinets that are going to help you transform a community. This is what happened with Daniel. This is what God did. He, he strengthened them with this. And then it says in verse 17, it goes well for them. And as for as these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all learned literature and wisdom. And three years after the process, they go before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at them. And, and wow, those four stand out amongst everybody else. And he says, you guys are right next to me. 
and he brings them in, and anything that he brought before those four friends, they answered it better than anybody else that he had. But the source of all this was not Daniel. If you're starting to stray in your faith, I would encourage you, be like Daniel, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story in all of this is these people who are exiled wondering, how can we keep serving God in exile? Daniel says, it's because God's always been there. It was God who gave us into exile. It was God who gave me favor and fed us in miraculous ways with water and vegetables. And it was God who gave me wisdom and skill in literature and visions and dreams. God did it all. It was God who gave. He's the source of strength. And it should remind you of a guy named Joseph years before who had the same situation taken from his family, brought before the king, suffered, and God brought him up. But it should remind you even greater of a greater Daniel, Jesus, who came years later and God gave him. And God gave his son, for God so loved the world that he gave. And Jesus himself came in exile into the world, willingly for our sins so that we could be rescued. So that people who see the pressure of life and think, I'm going to be crushed by this, I can't keep going on anymore, can see that there's a savior, there's a helper, there's a hope in Jesus Christ. If you look to him, he can change things. He can transform your life in miraculous ways because God gave him. And it says that Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus, which seems to be somewhat nothing to us. Except what that means is at the beginning, in the third year of, Je- of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he came and he seized them. And then lots of other kings went through. And for about 70 years, Daniel stayed, never left his exile, but he saw king after king of Babylon fall and fall. And Daniel was there to the king of Cyrus. It's really easy to get discouraged when things seem a little rough. It's really easy to get discouraged when it seems like, where's God in this? It seems to really get discouraged to turn on the news and hear all the things we've been hearing and wondering, what's God doing? What's he doing in my life? What's he he doing in the church? Where's God in all of this? And all along, God's been there. He's the one giving He's the one guiding. He's the one instructing and helping. A couple weeks ago, I was up at Wheaton. I haven't been able to do that in almost a year. I can go up to Wheaton College and sit in the library and for, for a couple hours get more study done because of all the resources. And I was, I was able to go sitting up there. It's been a rough summer for me, to be perfectly honest. In the darkness of wondering sometimes, what's God doing? So I'm sitting at Wheaton, studying, and I'm at a table, a big bookshelf dividing me in another section, and there's a couple students over there, they're early 20s, and I sit down, I start studying. They don't know why I'm there, they're, they're talking, and I'm just, and I listen to them. And then 
They're there for a few minutes talking about their church, talking about what God's been doing in their, their life. Just This is on a Tuesday afternoon, a normal conversation. This is their conversation. And all of a sudden, a friend that they hadn't seen in months walks in, and he sees them. He's going up to, uh, he's up at Trinity um, Seminary. They, they had this great reunion, and they sit there and talk, and within five minutes, they start talking about the Bible and what God's been teaching them. And I'm sitting there hearing all of this, just getting encouraged. Because we think sometimes that, you know, God's, he's not working. That things aren't going to get better. And I sat across from a bookshelf with at least three young 20s who, in their normal conversation, were just lifting God up, talking about his word, smarter than I will ever be. And God's going to use them. That's our hope. That, that's the reality for you if you are a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, or 40-year-old, or 50-year-old, a 60-year-old, or a 70-year-old, and the pressure is on us. And when you're in that situation, the pressure is to start maybe thinking, well, well God is, I'm going to pull away from this, and God might be, I don't know where God is, and it's very dark. I don't see God moving. The reality is God is moving. He's working in that, and he calls you to be the one. You just be the one. It might not look like anybody else in your office, in your job, in your neighborhood, in your school is standing for Christ, but he says you resolve. You be the one. You reach out. You keep doing that, and you be faithful. There's a video going around I saw on the internet. Maybe saw some of the story. It's a great story about a guy who was talking about the world and said, you know, 1960s, things looked terrible. He goes through all the bad things that were happening. He was on a road trip with his dad and just how out in California, they get helped in a really unique way. And at the end of the day, his dad says to him, son, whatever you see on the news, know that this is what people are like. Keep the faith. It's very encouraging. But better than that for us is this. We don't have to just keep the faith. We get to keep to the one who is faithful. We have the faithful one to keep our on hold to. So we can know, as Jesus said to us in Luke 12, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if you're a little lost on the map and trying to figure out where you fit, where your location is right now, The call is to hold on to the faithful one. God is the one working and guiding and giving, and he's doing it. Just keep trusting him. Keep walking faithful and hold to the faithful one. 